Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. I apologize, there was no episode last Friday. Uh, I was in transit back from the US, so I was um, not, I didn't record that one in advance, so there was one that I hadn't recorded. I actually thought I was getting back earlier than I did, and then I just was not prepared. So here we are back with the episode of today, which is all about 10 things that I learned in my 20s. Um, I've seen a bunch of people do this, and my social media chick was like, hey, can you do a post? Um, so we can put it up on social media about 10 things that you learned in your 20s. And I was like, yeah, actually, I could do a podcast on that. So why don't we do the post after the podcast? So that is what we're doing today. I am back from the States. I had the best time. I met some of, I met a bunch of the beans in the States in LA and New York. It was so, so great to meet you guys. It was really, really cool. Um, I honestly loved it. Last time I was in the States was in 2018, I want to say. And then I was going to go back. I was actually going to move back to the States uh, in 2020. That was the plan. But then obviously COVID hit and everything changed and so much changed when COVID hit, like things that I didn't see coming. I really wanted to move to New York and then I couldn't for ages because of all the borders being locked down. And then I started the podcast and I met Tyrone and then now – I'm absolutely thrilled living here and it's so crazy when you look at like a sliding doors moment in your life or like situations that change, situations out of your control that change your life circumstances. And yeah, so it was really, really cool to go back for a holiday. I went to LA with my cousin Giselle. Um, we hung out heaps with Carly and her wife Brie. We just, uh, I used to live with Carly when I lived in LA and she's actually been on the podcast before. She's fucking hilarious. And we just honestly had a ball. And then from there, I went to New York for two weeks and I spent those two weeks um, staying with Lucy. And Lucy is my friend. She's from the Happy Hour podcast with Lucy and Nikki, if you guys haven't heard of her or them. And we just had the best time in New York. It was, oh, honestly, we stayed in the West Village. It was such a cool city. I'd never been there before. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And I can't wait to go back. It was great. And I went for runs down to like Battery Park, I think it's called, kind of along the water. I we joined it. Like it was just so great. We rode our bikes to Central Park, had picnics there. We went out, drank substantial amounts and honestly just had the best time, met the coolest people. And I even had some like meetings over there to be able to like potentially be doing some work, more stuff in the US as well as with Australia because my audience is growing you know, a bit in the US. So I'm just trying to find a fine balance of finding a way of nurturing my audiences globally as well. So that was really, really cool to have those talks over there and stay tuned for what's to come with the future of the podcast. Anyway, uh, we've got a brain fact. We've got the topic of today and we have a listener question at the end of the podcast, which is about um, being in a position in your early 30s and not yet having a partner or having kids, but wanting it and how to feel happy in the moment about it not happening yet. Um, So that's a really great question to write into because I think a lot of people are in that position. I personally know a handful of people in that position. Anyway, good times. Let's get into it. Okay. Uh, All right. So we're going to start with the brain fact of today. And the brain fact is all about sunlight as a protective factor against depression, other mood disorders, and also ADHD and why it's so important. So I want to start with saying that light affects everything in the brain. And I'm not just talking about sunlight, although that's what the focus of the talk is today, but all kinds of light. 
you know, artificial light, blue light, red light, all different wavelengths. Light affects everything and that is because it is linked to sleep and brain function in general. It helps set off the release of neurochemicals at different times depending on what time of the day it is. Um, And the time of the day is really important for your system to work properly for you to feel alert when you're supposed to be feeling alert and for you to feel like you can wind down when you're supposed to be, you know, getting ready to go to sleep and falling asleep. And all these feelings are due to chemicals and light impacts the release of chemicals. Sleepiness, motivation, alertness, your overall drive, all of that is due to chemicals. And the time of day heavily influences the release of chemicals. And what determines the time of day? The light that enters your brain. Okay, so first thing in the morning, you should be getting sunlight. You want to be getting up and getting outside for a couple of minutes. You don't have to be there for ages. It's literally just a couple of minutes. So as soon as you get up and if the sun's not up yet, then the moment the sun does come up, you want to be getting some light into your eyes. And this is what's going to set off this whole um, series of events in your brain to make you feel alert. This is when the production of cortisol, when healthy production of cortisol is at its highest. And when we talk about cortisol production. I'm talking about when your body's naturally releasing amounts of cortisol throughout the day. Um, The morning is when it's going to be at its highest. Now, of course, I'm not talking about times where you're in a very, very, very highly stressed situation like fight or flight, where of course you're going to get a massive spike of cortisol as well. But in general, the morning is when you want cortisol to be at its highest. And Morning light also um, affects the release of dopamine. So this this is the chemical that's involved in motivation. It's the chemical that's involved in your willingness to do something, that feeling of anticipation and then following through with the action. Um, And it's also linked to addiction, but it's very necessary for your motivation and your drive in general. When it comes to neurochemicals, it's not this idea of these are bad neurochemicals and these are good neurochemicals. You need all the neurochemicals in your brain, just at different times and at different amounts. But all neurochemicals play a very important role. If you didn't have cortisol, you'd be dead, right? If you didn't have dopamine at the right amounts when you needed it, you would have, you know, among other things that have not that are not linked to mood, like movement and stuff, but you would have no drive or no motivation or no willingness to do something. So you need neurochemicals at the right levels at different times in the day. Now, there's this whole trend also that I'm hearing about this low dopamine morning trend. I'm actually going to do a whole episode coming very soon about the whole low dopamine morning trend and what I agree about it and what I don't agree about uh, agree with about it. Um, but basically, what you want to look at is that there's no good or bad neurotransmitters. It's all about when is a good time for it to be released, when is it not a good time for it to be released. But it's much more beneficial for your state and your mood to have the higher releases of cortisol and dopamine in the morning when your body needs it, when you can utilize it, than at bedtime when it's likely going to interfere with your melatonin release when you're trying to wind down and fall asleep and therefore affecting your sleep quality, which then affects the overall function of your brain and your alertness the following day. So it's this vicious cycle that you get into. Interestingly, studies have found links between lower prevalence of ADHD in areas where there's greater solar intensity versus other areas. And this is found in a whole bunch of countries like the US, Spain, France, Lebanon, Mexico, Belgium. And a study was done on 11,000 people which controlled for confounding variables. So what is a confounding variable? It's a third variable which can or does influence 
both the independent variable and the dependent variable. So in this case, the confounding variables that were controlled for was low socioeconomic status, healthcare access, race and ethnicity, and a whole bunch of other things. And it basically found that the greater the amount of the sun intensity, the lower the prevalence of ADHD. Now, it's not to say that it's causal. So it's not saying that low light causes ADHD. It doesn't say that that at all. But it's saying that light exposure from the sun in general is likely to be a protective factor or a managing factor for adults with ADHD. And this has a lot to do with the circadian rhythm. In 80% of adults with ADHD, the circadian rhythm is disrupted. So one of the best ways of helping maintain a healthy circadian rhythm and sleep-wake cycle is exposure to sunlight, especially first things in the morning when you wake up. Um, and being in a dark room or being in a dark home, not going outside in the morning or there not being enough sunlight, it's not going to be helpful to, to kickstart that circadian rhythm for the day. And therefore, it's going to be even less helpful if you suffer from disrupted or disturbed circadian rhythms, such as in many adult cases of ADHD. So for people that have low moods, struggle to fall asleep and who have ADHD, having this proper light, dark cycle and a really good morning routine, um, people with these mood disorders or ADHD might find that that is super, super helpful in managing these things. Um, light in the morning and low light or no light ideally at nighttime. Now, when it comes to sleep time, it's super important to avoid bright lights in general. Okay, so yes, blue lights, but it's actually all lights in general. And it's and that's more so in the evening. So when we talk about um, different wavelengths of light, blue light exposure, red light exposure, um, yes, okay, blue light is going to be keeping you more alert and, and red light not as much or the wavelength of red light. But when we talk about falling asleep and going to bed, the, the less light, the better. So you could have all the red light in the world, but if you're constantly being exposed to light, 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 and it's red light, it's still going to be affecting your circadian rhythm. So the less light in the evening, the better. And also with blue light, blue light's great in the morning. So you don't want to be blocking out and using blue light blockers all day long. Light in the morning, tick. Light at nighttime, cross. Okay, that's kind of how you want to look at it. If you want to then get technical on the wavelengths, you can. But that's kind of the general rule of you want to imagine the circadian rhythm is kind of like back in the day how our ancestors were. You know, when it's nighttime, you're not exposing yourself to light because there is none. And when it's daytime, you are exposing yourself to light because you're outside in the light. Okay, that's kind of the really the bare bones basics of it. So bright lights at night will still be stuffing up the dopamine release, okay? It doesn't matter what wavelength of that light. So you want to think about avoiding bright lights in general. And if you're someone who feels super unmotivated or flat or sad or can't, you know, get anything done in the mornings, it's really important to pay attention to what kind of light cycle you're exposed to, what light are you getting at night and at what time? If you sleep regular hours, as in you're not a night shift worker, um, then you want to be making sure that you're not exposed to bright lights or screens of any kind after 11, if possible. Definitely not from midnight onwards. Um, so if you struggle to get out of bed, chances are that you might be screwing up with your dopamine release in the mornings because you're not able to fall asleep at night. So it's this whole cycle. It's not like, oh, once you go to bed, it starts over from scratch again. No, your light exposure at nighttime is actually affecting how you're going to wake up the next morning. And then if you're not getting adequate light exposure in the morning, it's going to be affecting 
the the neurochemical release throughout the day, which then affects how you fall asleep. So notice how all these things will play into your moods and how your your brain performs in general. Okay. So the main thing you want to think about is low light or no light at nighttime, no screens, none of that, especially in the hours leading up to falling asleep. I d- and if you're struggling with that, the hour before you fall asleep, put on an audiobook or a podcast or something where there's no light coming in, no light full stop, okay? And then in the mornings, you get up and you go outside and you expose yourself to light. If you can, ideally you want to couple that, if possible, with exercise, um, even if it's just 10 minutes of movement, okay? Moving your body, that's going to help increase that release of cortisol and dopamine when you wake up in the morning. So you're, you know, enhancing that release of the chemicals that you want released in the morning when you want to be at your most alert, at your most driven. And then that's going to help set yourself up for the day. Um, So yeah, that is the brain fact of today and talking about why it is that low light and um, bright lights, depending on the time of the day, can affect your mood um, because of the release of the chemicals. Hope you enjoyed that. Now let's get straight into the topic of today. Okay, so we're going to get straight into the episode of today, which is all about 10 things that I learned in my 20s. I've seen a bunch of people do this, so I thought that I should do my own version and break down the 10 things and explain why it has helped me moving into my 30s. Okay, let's get straight into it. Number one, I learned that it was important to work on things that you can earn to feel better about yourself instead of focusing on things like appearance and possessions. Because I found that in my 20s, I often would focus on appearance and possessions and more so in a way of comparing myself to others and what they had. And I thought I had to adhere to a timeline in my 20s and by this age you should have achieved this or you should have this thing etc etc also thinking that I was a like not aging but I was going to be aging so I'd fear aging a lot more in my early 20s because my focus was on appearance and and possessions and things that I had to tick off and achieve versus now I realized that when I would put my focus on working on things that I could earn And when you earn something, it's something that no one can take away from you. I started feeling a lot better about myself. This is kind of also more about being process driven instead of results driven. And it's always good to aim for a result. But I think I learned to love the process of earning something more so than having the actual achievement to my name. I found that when I was in my early 20s, I would, especially because I had a big career change, well, probably a million times in my 20s, but a big one in my like 26 when I decided I'm definitely not doing acting anymore I kind of felt like I was starting over and a lot of the people around me were already not only had fully graduated from what they were doing and working in the field that they wanted to be doing but they were already getting promoted making more money than me at an age where I thought fuck if I had started what I wanted to do seven years ago I'd be in a much better financial position than I am now I felt like I was starting from scratch and it felt like I was behind And I feel like this feeling of being behind is what makes you suffer so much in your 20s. And the quicker you can get around that feeling, the quicker you're going to start feeling happier within yourself. When you're feeling that you are falling behind, you're going to start focusing on all the external things. And a lot of those external things are things that you don't have direct control of versus when you turn inwards and think, what can I focus on that I'm happy about myself? Then you're less likely to be like, oh, but I'm in this place in my life, but that person just purchased a car. I can't afford a car right now. Should I at this age be affording a car where, you know, all that kind of quietens down. And I found that the older I got, 
the more I found passion in things that I did, the less I cared about where I was in comparison to other people. Even when, you know, I started studying again and I was even more financially stressed than ever before because I'd like spent all my money traveling. The money that I had saved was gone and I was studying. So I didn't, I had less time to work. So I was limited in my income and I was now entering my thirties and, you know, but I was just, wasn't comparing myself. I was like, fuck, I love what I'm studying. I wouldn't trade my life for anything or anyone's because I'm in a really good place. I love what I'm studying. I'm, I'm, I'm growing every single day. I'm, I'm passionate. I found something I'm passionate about and that I want to direct my energy into. And every time I'd learn something, I'd want to share it. You know, I felt like, wow, this is something really cool that I have and you can't buy it, borrow it or steal it. You have to put in the effort to get there. So my advice to you would be find something that takes effort and then once you learn that thing, you can pass it on to other people and you start feeling really, really good about yourself when you focus on things that you can earn versus on appearance or external things that you can, you know, have as far as a possession. Number two, if someone walks away from you, facilitate it. I don't know how many hours in my life or days or weeks or whatever that I wasted trying to think about how I could get someone back who left me, chose to leave me, right? It is such a waste of time, such a fucking waste of time. Like being heartbroken is not a waste of time. That's emotions and you need to feel them and you need to go through them and that's how you grow as a person. But feeling like you have to be crawling back to someone who said, I don't want to be with you is a waste of your time. That is a waste of your time because one thing is working to fix a relationship where both people are working at it and there's another thing when someone's like, I don't want to be with you and you're using all your energy, emotional energy, physical energy to try and convince them that you really are worth being with. That is so exhausting and it makes your heartbreak last so much longer and it just wastes so much of your time. You know, when someone wants to leave you, There's a whole array of reasons why that could be and you don't have to know the reason. You may get the reason, you may not, but make it easy for them. If someone wanted to leave me now and they, I could genuinely tell that this person doesn't want to be with me, they've got all the reasons why they don't want to be with me or none, they don't have to give me a reason. But if I knew that they didn't want to be with me, I'm not going to stand in their way at all. Because all it does is it makes it harder for them and then they're now in this awkward position where they've got to, you know, not offend you. And then for my sake, I'm then wasting my own time from being able to move on and have the life that I'm worthy of living. Number three, always being right does not make you more likable. And people are not going to love you less if you admit that you're wrong. So I am a proud person. I think most of us are to some degree, but I've always considered myself relatively proud, not crazy proud, but I've definitely had a level of pride within myself. But I used to struggle admitting that I was wrong. And if I would have an argument with someone or a disagreement with someone when I was younger and I th- it would turned out that I would be wrong, I would be like sooky and sulky and I would, you know, kind of retreat and pull back and because I would think that, their opinion of me would have lowered because I was wrong, right? When, if you turn it around, when have you ever disrespected someone because they admitted they were wrong? If someone admits to me that they were wrong, 
I actually respect them so much more. I actually learned this from an ex-partner, like when I was in my mid-20s. The way that he was able to just admit that he was wrong, I gained a lot of respect for him. He would just be like, you know what? I thought about what you said yesterday and I didn't say it to you at the time, but I actually was wrong about this thing that I did. And, you know, I I gave some thought into what you said. I would be like, whoa, this person's so emotionally mature. I want to be like that. I respect that so much. So instead of being like, ah, cunt, you admitted that you were wrong. You're fucking wrong. And I was right. And that's the last thing I'd want to say. I would just be in awe of like, oh my God, that's really cool. How How do I learn that? So people actually respect you more when you have the Comfort within yourself to admit that you're wrong. It just states, I'm comfortable within myself and I'm okay saying that I'm wrong because I know that I'm enough, whether I'm right or wrong in this situation. And you actually feel so much more at peace the moment you're able to admit you were wrong when you knew that you were wrong. Number five, pretending to be someone so that someone likes you only makes it harder to love yourself. So many crushes that I had in my 20s and even prior to that, even more so in my teens, I would fixate on somebody that I really liked, really wanted them to like me back. That's natural. Who doesn't feel that way when they're in love with someone? But then I would try and think, what would they like to see? And then try and emulate that thing. So then I'd be putting across this version of myself that's not at all close to really who I am. My humor would be different. Aha, uh-huh, like I'd laugh at things that I actually didn't find funny. I'd be so hung up on trying to be what, what I thought this person would want in a partner that none of the me would be shining through at all. I'd be uncomfortable. I'd be awkward. I wouldn't be in the moment. I'd probably be way less funnier than my real self because I'd be so stressed on keeping up this, you know, facade of who I thought I needed to be, that I would just be so uncomfortable. I would be very stressed in these situations. This person would not be interested in me at all. And I would never truly know if this person would like me in the long run or not, because I was not being myself. So they never had a chance to actually like me. And the version that I was being was very clunky and inauthentic. So they were not going to like that version anyway. So I feel like once you realize that the only version that could be liked is the real version of yourself, you're going to be a lot more at ease with someone not liking you. Because when you put this fake version of yourself forward, thinking that that's what they want to see, they're not going to like it anyway. And if they do like it, the real you's got to come out at some point. So you're just fucking lying. It's just so exhausting. And then I realized, wait a minute, if this person's not going to like me, might as well be myself and save myself the time and energy and have them not like the real authentic me. Then this fake version of me, that's not even me. That was so exhausting to keep up. That didn't even feel good. Um, yeah. Number six, the sooner you get comfortable with people criticizing you, the sooner you start doing the things that make you happy. I think that a lot of people don't take action on something because they're so worried about what people are going to say. And it's not to say that you've got to love people criticizing you and that it doesn't, it doesn't like, oh, it's water for ducks back. It's not that at all. It's not like if I read a bad review about my podcast, I'm not going to lie and say it doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, it does because I take it seriously because I'm really passionate about what I do and when someone doesn't like it, I, I will give it some time and attention. I'll look at it and be like, oh, that kind of sucks. Does it stop me from doing what I'm doing? Absolutely not. Does it affect my day moving forward? No, it used to, but I've learned it's like this is just life. People are polarizing. That You can't suit everyone's needs. You can't always make everyone happy. So when I got to the point where I can read a review, acknowledge that I don't feel good about reading that review, but still be like, yep, I'm still happy with what I'm doing. That's fine. I can move forward. Because sometimes 
you know, a review might say something that I can learn from. Sometimes someone might say, oh, you know, this person, she's spoken about this a million times. I could be like, maybe I have. Maybe I should talk about other things more. So that's something I learned from, you know. So it's, it's I guess, you just start getting more comfortable, this idea of getting more comfortable with criticism, not loving it. You don't have to love it. I don't love it which is being more comfortable. I met someone recently and he said, oh, I really want to start doing these funny videos on, this is when I was in the States recently. He was like, I really want to start doing these funny videos on TikTok. But to be honest, like all my friends are just going to laugh at me so much that I just, I'm not really quite sure how to start. And I was like, they're going to laugh at you. So if you, if you try, like if, if they're the kind of people that are going to laugh, then they're probably going to laugh at you. So if you try and wait for an opportunity for them not to laugh at you or to prove yourself that you're good enough for them, for then them not to laugh at you, then you're going to be waiting for the rest of your life. Sometimes you've got to look at people laughing at you and people criticizing you as almost like a hurdle that you've got to get, get over to then keep going. Because if you think, oh, I will start once people for sure know that I'm going to succeed and then they won't laugh, then you're never going to start. You always have to be like, right, let's rip the bandaid off. Let's do this embarrassing thing. Let's have everyone laugh at me. Let's get it out of the way. And then, then I'm good. Because every time you start something new, people are going to judge you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to talk about you behind your back. That's inevitable. And the funny thing is most of the people that say that shit about you and laugh behind your back and criticize you, whatever, most of them are just bored and need something to talk about. They probably still fucking love you. And a lot of the time they probably think, oh, that person did it. Why can't I? you know, like what, how they managed to do it. They're okay with people laughing at them and I'm not. A lot of the time there's this secret admiration behind the fact that you could still do it despite what people were saying about you. And I learned that quite intensely in my 20s and I realised that I'm sure there were and still are people that talk about me about what, how I do things and whatever, but I'm, it's fine. It's so okay with it. If the payoff for that is doing what I love, then it's a fair, it's a fair trade. I'm happy to make that trade. Uh, number seven, money will come and go in your life, but experiences are invaluable. So make as many experiences for yourself as you can when you have not as many responsibilities. So everything is in balance in my life. Okay. I obviously value the fact that I have responsibilities in my life and I, you know, now in my thirties, I like having these responsibilities, but I, it also means that I can't be as spontaneous. I can't be like, fuck my rent, fuck this, fuck, the, you know, this, these things that depend on me, my business. No, I can't do that. But when I was in my twenties, I could do that. And I did do that. And that was one of the reasons why I was losing so much money because I was spending it all on travel and it doesn't have to be travel. It can be on other things. But I realized that now looking back, the things that I remember the most are not that stunning outfit that I bought what I did love spending money on a beautiful outfit um or something that made that made me feel great when I'd wear it I'm not saying that that has no value it does but the things that I think about now are all the experiences that I had it's never about how I looked it's never like oh that time when I was 25 and everyone complimented about how hot I was I don't remember that at all and if that did happen it's not coming to my memory the things that I'm remembering are experiences 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 and it's often the experiences that you know I put myself in really far out of my comfort zone um, or it's the experiences where I was with the people that I really loved and you know often were at the time what I would deem to be mundane, but now looking back, it was where I was really present with the people that I loved and putting in the effort to spend time with those people. So experiences that are going to put you out of your comfort zone where you're going to learn something new or where you're spending quality present time with the people that you love. That's what you're going to remember as you move forward. And this can be applied. This is not just for your 20s. This can be applied in decades to come. Number 
Number eight, give people your love and your full attention when you talk to them because they won't always be around. So luckily, I think probably the thing that I'm happiest about in my whole life is that I've never taken my family for granted. I can genuinely put my hand on my heart and say that at no point in my life, even as like a teenager, I never took my family for granted. So I can be at peace with that. But I lost all my grandparents in my mid-20s and I was very close with all of them. And I'm really grateful that at that time in my life, social media and phone like usage was not at an all-time high because if it was back then when I'd spend time with my grandparents, I would really like to think that I wasn't on my phone every time I was around my grandparents, that I would be as present as I was. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like if you are in a position where you are fortunate enough to be around people who you love, who you can spend time with, make sure you're not wasting that time away doing something that you will never gain value from and that you will never that will never be something that you remember later down the line. When you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, I can guarantee you're not going to be looking back at your 20s being like, oh, I'm so happy I spent all those hours scrolling through TikTok. All those things I learned, oh my God. You're not going to be thinking about that. You're going to be thinking about, wow, I'm really happy I put my phone down when I went and saw my grandparents that time. I'm really happy I put my phone down when I would hang out with, you know, these friends from uni and then we all moved away and we never really ever hung out all of us together again. I'm really happy that I was there in the moment because that's what I carry with me, not this thrill that I was on my phone every time someone I loved tried to talk to me. That's fucking embarrassing and mortifying, can I say. So when you're on your phone, do it in your own time, not on someone else's time because that's just to me, like the saddest thing that you can waste away is someone you love's time for you. So learn that as soon as you can and implement that as soon as you fucking can. And this is something that can be learned in your teens. You, you can learn it in your 60s. In, it doesn't matter. But the, the quicker you can come to terms with that and realize that you're never going to look back and be grateful for the fact that you wasted all this time on your phone, the quicker you can implement a change. Number nine, be selective with where you get advice from. Not everyone is qualified and it can become paralyzing. Every cunt and their dog is going to try and give you advice about what to do, especially when you're young, especially in your 20s, because this is when you're trying to decide what you're going to do with your career. Now, I don't think you should be someone that's like, I'm going to just do it. Like, I still value advice. And it's not to say, fuck what anyone thinks. Uh, you know, I, I think the fact that someone older than me has gone through a journey that can teach me something, I really value that. But I'm also not going to take advice from every single person that's older than me because they've gone through their own journey. You have to be selective and you think, why am I taking advice from this person? Is it because they've done exactly what I want to do so I can learn from them? They can be a mentor. Is it because they genuinely have my best interest at heart and their advice comes from wanting me to be in a safer or happier place? Or not like, uh, you know, when you look at someone and the advice they give you, is there a second agenda behind this advice? And it's not to say that they don't love you, but often, you know, someone might want you to stay close to them or they don't want you to leave or they want to, you know, keep you close. So they'll give you advice that benefits them, but it's not going to benefit your journey. Okay. So you always have to pay attention to like, where is this advice coming from and why? And then there's the, the, the unsolicited advice from people that you don't actually care about as far as your life trajectory goes, yet you're listening to what they have to say because you don't want to offend them, you don't want to upset them, you want to impress them, but in reality what their advice is isn't actually relevant to your life and where you're headed. You know, it's a difficult skill to learn to 
say to to have a conversation with someone and they give you your advice and you say thank you but then you don't say I'm going to do it I'm not going to do it you just say yeah thanks for that and then you just you know you don't have to agree you don't have to disagree you don't have to have this awkward conversation about how you're not taking their advice but to pretend that you're going to take someone's advice to actually take someone's advice when it's not relevant is just such a waste of your time. And the older you get, the more you realize this. So try and implement that as soon as possible. And lastly, number 10, it is always okay to start over or to start something new. Always. Sometimes starting something later in life is a blessing. Sometimes you picking the career that you really want to do later in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s actually works out for the better. Maybe an opportunity was there for you later that would have never been there for you at the start. For me, okay, I'm using myself as an example because this is stuff that I've learned in my 20s. I'm thrilled that I didn't go and do my master's straight after my undergrad because I would have never done the podcast, never done the podcast. Well, I mean, I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure that I would have never done the podcast. I probably would have gone into a completely different path And not to say that I wouldn't have enjoyed it. It's like a sliding doors moment. I could have enjoyed it. But what I'm saying is the fact that I waited another six years or seven years in between my degrees and then started, I had all this life experience in the middle. I had tried other careers and they had failed. I had learned. I lived in other places. I, I had these breakups, the, you know, crazy heartbreaks, all of that, that when I was ready to start my master's, I approached it very differently. And then when I was ready to start the podcast, I had stuff of value that I could add to the podcast that I couldn't have had I done it in my 20s. So I would never look at the fact that I started my podcast in my 30s being like, God, imagine if I started this earlier. Fuck no. I'm thrilled I didn't. I would have really hoped that if I got to live my life again, I would live it the same way that I did. Because at the time I was frustrated that I wasn't finding my groove and what I wanted. But now I look back and I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Because it all clicked at the time that it was supposed to click. So all my advice to you is if you're, if you're in a situation where you're like, fuck, I'm now at a point where I don't like what I'm doing and I, and I need to start over and it's such a waste of time, it's never a waste. If you're working towards something and you're trying to earn knowledge or anything it is that you're trying to work for and earn, it's never a waste. If you want a career change, your old career, what, there are skills in there that you can p- bring on to the next career a relationship that broke down. There's emotional lessons that you will learn in that relationship that you can then learn from and grow from and be a better person in your next relationship, okay? Nothing is a waste. Starting over is never a bad idea if you're not happy with where you are. It's never a waste, okay? So I wish I had this mentality, you know, in my 20s thinking, not not to say that I would start the podcast earlier, but I would stress about things ending or not succeeding. I'd be so much sadder about it than now when I look at it than I should have been. Um, And I lost a lot of sleep and stress over those things not succeeding when in reality, I should have just been like another door closed. Okay, on to the next, you know, and not wasted all this time and energy into it. But everything's a learning curve and there are no regrets really. Um, Cool. That is the episode of today, the 10 things that I learned in my 20s. And if you are in your 20s, hopefully you can put some of those 10 things into practice now. So then you can look back and say, wow, I actually learned that lesson and it served me for this purpose and I feel really good about it. Um, Cool beans. That is the episode of today. And now it's time for the listener story. Hi, Alexis. First off, I'd like to say how much I appreciate you and all the amazing work and insight that you share. I listen to many, many podcasts as, and yours is by far my favorite. Thank you. 
Um, I feel like I've grown so much as a result of listening to the podcast. It honestly makes me a bit teary-eyed to think about it. Merci beaucoup. Oh, thank you. I want to ask you your advice. For, sorry. I, I do want to ask for your advice on something. While I've grown in a lot of areas in my life, there is one area that I feel a bit stumped in and that's feeling totally whole and complete without a partner. I'm 32, turning 33 next week, and one of the few single ladies left in my group. All my best friends are married and have kids or are expecting. I too have always wanted a family and kids, not just because it's what people do, but because I truly do want it. And I'm trying to get to a point mentally when I'm okay with whatever happens. I just always thought that I'd have a family and a loving partner to share my life with. And while I am truly happy for all my girlfriends, I do sometimes feel sad at the thought it may not happen for me and like that I'm the odd one out. I've, I've been in two long-term relationships, the first of which was fairly healthy and the second which was emotionally abusive. It's been two years since breaking up with the latter. It was a long healing journey and I discovered so much about myself along the way. Sometimes I feel very open and receptive to dating. Other times I feel like I've got a fortress around my heart. I've tried the apps and been receptive to people who, have, who I meet in person as well, but there hasn't been a reciprocal spark and the more that time passes, I find myself struggling with thoughts of not having a partner or family. I know things often come into your life once you've let go, but I'm having a hard time truly letting go of the desire and being okay as the designated fun aunt. Any insight on this topic would be greatly appreciated. Because my friends are all in different stages of life, it's been difficult finding people who can empathize and who I can talk over these things with. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this and all of your beautiful work. All the best. Look, thank you so much for writing that. That's a really fair position to be in. I think it's a, it's a feeling that a lot of, and I'm going to say women more so than men, are in. And the reason I say women is because biologically, if you want to have your own children, it's just a fact that as time passes, it's not as easy. Not to say that you can't. There are women that have kids well into their 40s, so it's not about that. But I feel like we put the pressure on ourselves and society does that pressure for us without us having to do any of it, that there's like a ticking time clock. So I feel like this is definitely more of a pressing issue in your 30s for, you know, a lot of women than it is for men. And I've also had a few women write in something similar to how you're feeling. I also have a couple of friends who are in the same boat as you, where they're doing very well in their life. They, yes, they might have some like bad relationships and some healthy relationships, and they're single right now and they're just at that point where they're like, I'm, I love my life, I love my friends, I love you know, my day-to-day, um, but I want a family and it's just not happening. And I've been single for years and it's not happening and what's going to happen? And, and they put a lot of their identity around this idea of having kids and having a family. And you're right in the sense that, you know, trying to come at ease with not controlling the outcome and and it may may be never happening because the truth is there is a chance that it may actually never happen for you. But there's no point fixating on that. As long as you're well aware that, look, am I happy overall with my life moving forward if this never happens? Could I find a way to be happy? And if the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, then we need to look at things to add into your life that are going to make you fulfilled as an individual. Because there's a lot of things that happen. This is not just one of them. There's a lot of things that happen in people's lives that throw their life completely off the trajectory that they thought it was going to go down. And then they have to readapt. They have to kind of like um, rebirth themselves and 
find their new identity, find their new way of life and do all the above. But we're not talking about that right now because you're 32, nearly 33, and while that is a possibility for you in the future, there's still a massive, massive, massive possibility that you are going to meet someone that you are in love with and that you can have a family with this person, okay? Now, another thing that you need to ask yourself, just just to be like, you want to be across all possibilities for your future. Something to ask yourself is, would I be willing to have children if I wasn't in love with somebody? Like that's something that you need to be really aware of the answer. And if the, if the answer is yes, then with what timeline? Because there are some people that think, yes, ideally, I would want a partner who I love and children with that partner. But if for whatever reason, I could only have children and I couldn't have the partner that I love, would I still go down that path? It's important to know what the answer is going to be to that. If the answer is yes, absolutely, at all costs, the children are the main thing, that's absolutely what I want to have. Then the next question for that is, all right, at what point would I seriously start to look down that avenue of just having children and not finding a partner to have, you know, in the traditional sense, falling in love, having kids, whatever, you know, in traditional, I'm doing inverted commas with my hands. So I think it, when you start to ask yourself these unemotional, well, I mean, they're emotional, but these questions of like, right, black or white, would I be willing to do this? Would I not? Would I be willing to potentially be a single mother or not? You know, start asking yourself for these questions and get a really good grasp of what your future could look like with a partner and with kids and without a partner, but with kids or without a partner and without kids. And what do you think is going to be the best outcome for you? Because are you capable of being happy without a partner and without kids? Yes, you are capable. But it's also something that you might not even need to be entertaining at this point in your life because you are quite young, right? Another thing that I want to emphasize on is that you thinking about where your friends are at and where you are at and the contrast in between the two is also going to be quite like confronting if you're doing this, you know, often. And if all of your friends have kids or almost all of them have kids, then it does feel more like a harsh contrast to you. Okay. Now I don't know where you live um, because it depends, you know, where you go and where you live, but there are certain environments that you can put yourself in where there are going to be people of your age who don't have kids and haven't met a partner that they want to have kids with yet. And I feel that, you know, I look at my group of friends, for example, and we are all in our thirties, early thirties. And oh, a couple of, a couple of, so the group, my group of girlfriends is like 11 of us, right? All of us are in our thirties minus two. One of them has kids and she's the one in her twenties, actually. Actually, no, no, sorry. I lied. She just turned 30. So she's got two kids. None of the rest of us have kids and a bunch of us don't have partners. A bunch of us do. Some of us have partners, but can't think about having kids until like late thirties, early forties, like literally that idea of like, no fucking chance am I ready right now. And some of us are like, Ooh, what if we fell pregnant? Like, like what, what could it be? Is this the time? You know, but what I'm saying is you need to potentially put yourself in positions to meet people in other situations in their life where their friendship group you're not the, the odd one out by not having kids. And you're likely going to feel more comfortable about where you are in your life. Because the main thing that I want to say to you is, hey, you, I can't tell you what you should be feeling in this situation, because I do believe that wanting children is a very 
natural human desire and it's not something that can be switched off automatically and I don't pretend to think that someone can be like, oh, well, you don't have kids now, fucking just be happy because I understand that that is a true human natural instinctive desire for a lot of people to want to have kids. But what I am going to say to you is that sometimes your environment is going to determine how you feel around that situation and you have, you're in your prime and you don't want to spend your prime stressing about factors that are just absolutely not within your control because that's so, you know, it's, it's a really hard place to be in when you have done all this work on yourself, you're, you know, you're really working hard to live a good life and then there's these external things that are just absolutely not within your control. You've tried dating, you've put yourself out there and it's just not happening and it's something that likely will fall into place, yeah, okay, when you least expect it or not, that's true, but you also don't want to look back and say, wow, that time in my life, I spent stressing and being sad about something that I had no control over. So your environment very heavily determines how you feel about a situation. If you start surrounding yourself with a different group of friends or new people that you might meet either on online forums or at work or through an activity that you start doing, but really branching out and reaching people who, when you look at them, you think, wow, it's actually quite normal to not have kids or a partner in your 30s you know, because there's so many examples of that around me that I'm less stressed about it and I'm more comfortable about it and I can sit more comfortably in this time in my life and not be so fixated on the outcome of is it going to happen, is it not going to happen and truly be happy with where you are, okay? So in a nutshell, I just took forever to get to the point of saying maybe try and find, not don't leave your friendship group. Obviously you love them and they love you, but find more people that you can surround yourself with that, you know, make you feel comfortable about the situation that you're in. If you're struggling to currently feel comfortable being around people that have kids and a partner and have everything that you want to have. And to you, it just reminds you that you don't have them. Okay. So it's all about removing yourself from that situation saying, this is kind of, you know, not really working for me. If I'm in this environment all the time, what can I do to expand my horizons and hang around with other people? Because you're going to realize that there are groups out there where they're like, oh my God, kids at 33? Nah, nah, nah. We'll wait till later. You know what I mean? It's all about your environment and that's going to really help you feel at ease with your situation. Um, yeah, because it is something that's not within your control. So it's all about how can I just be happy given the circumstances that I'm in right now, given that I can't control a lot of these factors. Hopefully that helped you, but I do know people that are in that position as well. And it's just it is a fucking journey. It's a fucking journey that you're on. Um, and thank you so much for writing in. Uh, guys, that is the end of the episode for today. Love you all so much. And as always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.